Dark, a podcast about the CW's Riverdale that's been in hibernation in its cave, but it's just peeking a little bit of an eye open, kind of taking a look out here to do one more podcast before the show returns in March. I'm Alex. In the world of Riverdale, writers oh are God. gods, <laughs> like Jughead himself. Keep that in mind. I'm Justin. <laughs> I'm Pete. And as kind of teased pretty terribly right at the top here, we are doing wow. uh, by me, by me. You did it amazingly, Justin. <laughs> oh, I was going to say. We have a special hiatus episode for you with Riverdale writer Brian Patterson. Brian, Woo-hoo! welcome to the podcast. So excited to have you on. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, my gosh. So excited to talk. So excited that you agreed to do this as well. As you said on Twitter, you're not really an interview guy. So we'll make this nice and smooth and easy. We're gentle. Oh, don't promise There's so many of us. Don't promise that. Are you going to get harsh, Pete? (laughs) (laughs) No, but I don't know how easy it's going to be. All right. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, We like to lower your expectations, then Pete likes to heighten them. That's sort of the dynamic of the podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, But one thing to set up right at the beginning, like sort of let's take it all the way back to the beginning here, because correct me if I'm wrong, but at least in terms of the writing staff, you're sort of the elder statesman at this point, right? You've been there pretty much since the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've been there uh, since season one. I started out as a staff writer on the show and um, there's like a handful of us that are that are still on that have been there for the entire run of the show. But yeah, yeah, it's the and it's the first TV show that I've ever written for, at least in um, scripted. So, well, um, then talk yeah. about talk a little bit about uh, whatever you can talk about about how you got the job. I mean, I think people are kind of familiar in some ways or some aspects in terms of how you get a TV writing job, but you had done a couple of different series before or jobs before, but this being your first full-time writing job, how did you lock it down? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, like I moved to Los Angeles right after graduating from Boston University, and uh, I'd done like an internship my final semester, so I knew I wanted to pursue that that route and hopefully get some sort of assistant job in network TV, because that's just what I wanted to write. Uh, I knew like from the get-go, I wanted to write TV drama. So the company that I interned for ended up failing and they were basically like, sorry, you're, you're out of luck. And we were going to hook you up with a, like a writer's assistant job, but the plans they had for a show fell through and, and that was that. So I was kind of like left looking for a job and, you know, it's, it's such an intense industry. Um, it's very difficult to, to land any sort of paying job right out of college so uh, I eventually got a job as an assistant on the cable side for a company called Painless Television, and they do like reality and documentary type programming. Um, one of their big shows is called The Dead Files. It's on like the Travel mm-hmm. Channel. Um, so I worked for them for five years, but 
I kept writing on the side and writing pilots and, and specs. And Warner Brothers actually has a program for aspiring writers every single year that, you know, that thousands of people apply for. They have like nine, nine or 10 spots normally. Um, and then once you get into that program, at the end of the program, they will staff you on one of the Warner Brothers shows. Um, oh, wow. So my final year, like uh, I think it was 2015, and I was basically kind of like, if I can't make it happen this year, then I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm probably going to have to move back to, to New Jersey because it just, the dream wasn't happening. Oh, um, even though I had, man. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. Stakes was, were high. Yeah. And I, I don't know. It's just, it's tough. Cause I had been there for five years and money was running low and I was like, well, this is it. And I got a, um, an envelope from Warner Brothers that said, or a letter from Warner Brothers that said that I had gotten through the first round of their, of the program. So I had to get through another two. So basically to get into the Warner Brothers writers workshop, you have to submit a pilot, a spec, and uh, then you have like a final in-person interview. Wow. Uh, and after a couple months, like I've, I got in and completed the program and then staffed on Riverdale. And it wasn't the first show that I, interviewed for but it's the first one that that offered me a job and I spoke to Roberto like in that interview and I had read the pilot in the Warner Brothers workshop and I knew that that was the that was the show I wanted to write for without a doubt because I had read Archie as a kid and um it was yeah my dad like had this enormous cardboard box full of like old Archie digests and so I spent a lot of time reading those as a kid and like seeing this newly reimagined way of like exploring the Archie universe in this pilot was just it kind of blew my mind and yeah I got on the show and and it's been this unbelievable ride ever since. Quick hyper specific question what did you spec when you had to do a spec for the workshop? I spec Boardwalk Empire um, Uh, because I love I love crime and like the gangster drama uh, genre rather. I guess the show that got me into TV writing was like the Sopranos. So, um, but the only like kind of gangster show on the air at the time was Boardwalk Empire. Uh, I think it had actually even ended maybe the year before. And so I spec that and the original pilot that I wrote was kind of like this baseball, almost like a Ted Lasso-esque kind of baseball drama um that yeah but uh, i haven't looked at in years but apparently it was it was decent enough that it got me through to the written or the in-person interview phase um i love hearing that you're into the crime stuff and the boardwalk empire and everything this is very much jumping way ahead of my list of questions here but doing citizen lodge that must have felt like coming full circle in a certain way it was amazing. Yeah. That, I mean, <laughs> that episode is so special and it's so different from the typical Riverdale episode. Yeah. Being able to like explore Hiram, Hiram's early life was such a, a fascinating thing. And we really wanted to give him an epic sort of origin story. Um, like Jughead says, like every villain has a, a really great origin story. So we wanted to make sure that we didn't let the fans down and that they could kind of empathize with this guy who's just kind of a monster on the show and so yeah i mean that was um really like an honor to to write that episode and james dewill directed 
the episode and he's one of our writers who's been on since the beginning and Roberto like came up with the idea of him growing up in New York and shoe shining with his dad and um like the fact that we got Mark and his son like to do it was so cool, so cool. and it was such a really gratifying experience for them as well so I don't know it just it turned out really phenomenal and yeah I kind of got to achieve my dream of writing a really cool crime crime episode I mean it's a great episode I, I did want to ask you and this is jumping back a little bit but I think maybe we can use Citizen Lodge as an example is again, I think people don't know exactly what a writer does say on a mm-hmm. weekly basis. Like they see their name pop up on the episode. And they're like, they were solely responsible for that. We know that's <laughs> not true. I think people who are tangentially familiar with the industry also know that's not true, but let, let's use Citizen Lodge as an example. As much as you can, could you walk us through where the germ of that idea came from when you were assigned as the writer, what the process was like going through to it ending up on air. We talked about giving Hiram like a, a backstory in the room before, kind of like in the beginning of the season, we'll, we'll kind of map out where everything's headed and um, how we can fill up each week uh, with a new episode. And so we got to, I think it was five twelve that episode was. We started discussing like his backstory and like what, what was the thing that made him turn into the guy he is today. We'll talk about the idea in the room. And it was a really great process because it was just, we're like honing in solely on this one character. And there was a Reggie and his father runner in that episode, but it was primarily focused on, on Hiram. You know, everyone in the room contributes their ideas. And then once we have sort of loose beats for the episode, we will flesh out those beats and write a story area. Then the story area gets submitted to the network and then they, the studio and the network and they give their notes. Uh, and then uh, once sorry, that's real quick, fi- a, a story area is sort of like an outline. A really like thorough. An extended out, outline. Yeah, like, an out, like a scene by scene breakdown. We even include like dialogue that we will later use in the episode. So once the story area itself is done, it's that much easier to write the episode episode because uh, everything's already there. I knew from a very early time that I wanted to write this episode. Like once we started talking about it, I was just like, oh my God, this is this is so cool. Like I have to write this. And uh, this is actually, my dream, uh, Roberto. Yeah. So I just want to throw that out there to the room. <laughs> I like I actually did text something like that to Roberto just saying like this this idea is so cool. Like you like I, I would just, just putting it out there. Like I would love to write this episode and he gave me the episode and awesome. uh, yeah, I was so, I was so excited uh, to be able to write it. When you're getting the notes back from the network, I, I'm sure it depends again, episode by episode, but how involved are they on a show like Riverdale? Are they sending things like sounds good or <laughs> eh, maybe try a little harder or are they getting like really in the weeds on the lines, on the scenes, things like that. The Gargoyle King has sticks for hands. Just checking in on that. Is that <laughs> true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like fairly specific notes that they give. They never get too intense with like line by line notes. I mean, maybe back in season one, they were a little more um, strict about certain things, but now, I mean, we're sort of, I think we know the show and they trust us 
with the content. So um, the notes are never that crazy. Um, so they're always pretty easy to, to implement. Yeah, I can't remember the last time anyone's really had to go back and maybe rewrite an entire an entire storyline or something. It's always fairly easy to execute. Uh, something we talk about a lot on, on the show is just the pace. The, I feel like there's there's no other show on television that that delivers on the pace that you, that you guys have over there, as well as just the amount of story and character that you're sort of juggling at the same time. And um, how do you maintain that? Um, and when you're writing, are you very conscious of that, or do you sort of go back and are like, let's pace it up? Yeah, Roberto has a has a a real style and and feeling for how he wants the show to the show to be and because we're writing stories for such a vast amount of characters, we really have to get through the scenes quickly. So, you know, on the day when we're shooting it up in Vancouver, a scene might have more sort of space and, and air in it to breathe. But when we're editing it down for television, we only have 42 minutes. So we really have to be kind of economical and make sure that um, all of our stories are adequately told and we're not cutting stuff because sometimes like our scripts will be a little long. So we'll have to go back and cut certain things uh, just to make sure that we're able to tell every, every story in that episode. So the, in terms of the pace, I, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a fast moving show and it's like, you can't look away for, for 30 seconds because you'll come back and be like, wait, <laughs> What just happened? Like, yeah, the ghoulies are back. And yeah, yeah so it's... Is that doll alive? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's making sure that we're able to tell every every character's uh, story properly. I just want to say, like, uh, I, I love the show. I don't want this to come off as the wrong sh- uh, way, but it does seem <laughs> insane sometimes. Like, you know, um, <laughs> is it the kind of writer's room where they're just like... 10 bucks is you can't put a bear in this scene. They're like, oh, I'll do it. You watch me. Like, it just <laughs> seems like they're stacking some amazing yeah. stuff. But, like, the, you seem very calm. I thought this, it would be like, a, a, you know, the writer's room is, is, it seems like just the the amount of ideas and the amount of things uh, in a show episode just is, is very impressive. How much gambling is going on <laughs> to get some bears in scenes in the show? <laughs> Yeah, it's not, it's not, we're not uh, like betting each other if we can make this episode crazier. I mean, it's not really that at all. I'd say it's a pretty composed room. It's a lot of professionals and a lot of really, really smart people, but we always try to tell the most interesting story that we can. And if that happens to be Archie fighting a bear or uh, Cheryl training a, a group of young students on how to fire a bow and arrow, or Betty going after serial killers. I mean, that's that's the story we're going to tell. Uh, I did want to go back to your job on the show a little bit, because correct me if I'm wrong, but you became a co-producer in season four, and that title has changed a little bit, but with season six, you were a supervising producer, at least for the first couple of episodes. Um, what, what, are, what are your responsibilities in that capacity, and in particular in season six, as a supervising producer, Here's my very hard-hitting question. What is what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> we all go up to Vancouver to produce our episodes. So I guess on maybe on, on other shows, like the higher the title that 
you have like maybe you're given a little more freedom to to do other things I don't, I don't really know like it's it's kind of like a title only i would say it's mm-hmm. not i don't think it would necessarily comes with any certain responsibilities um but, but like the lunch man the lunch menu comes to you first <laughs> yeah 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 and i get my coffee yeah well yeah my i mean my coffee comes out of the k-cup in my uh kitchen <laughs> in my kitchen downstairs see that's cool <laughs> well particularly right now as a supervising producer it's even harder now with covid and you guys have been so careful we've heard from so many people and uh, uh, how great it has been on set in terms of safety but obviously there's a lot of hardship there in terms of figuring out how to make the set work from the production perspective so uh, talking say again about the episodes in season 6 that you were potentially producing um what was involved there what has what has changed over time so there's some really strict like COVID testing and protocols that that have been implemented up in Vancouver. And because we have those in place, like we're actually, we have been fairly successful at making sure we get our days done and we haven't had any huge outbreaks or anything um, happen yet. We've had a couple of days that had to get pushed, but um, nothing super serious. So it is like, a process getting into Canada and then we have to test three times a week out of the five days that we're on set. So, you know, if someone tests positive, like then basically the cast and crew is notified and we assess from there. It's a bit, it's a bit more intense of a process. Like we also, I mean, we don't have like a crafty table anymore, mm-hmm. for instance, like you used to be Aww. able to just, I know one of the nicer, uh, yeah. <laughs> nicer things, but, um, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's the same, it's the same sort of process up there, just slightly different. Uh, well, let's talk about some specific episodes that you worked on that. I wanted to jump back to Chapter 10, The Lost Weekend, which I know you wrote with Britta London. Um, there's a lot of great scenes in there, uh, but there's one that I think I would argue became sort of the first really viral moment from the show, which is the I'm a weirdo speech, oh, yeah. which mind you. I, I like that speech. I like that scene. I think that's one of uh, the greatest bughead scenes on the show. But what was it like crafting that scene for the episode? And what did you think about the internet's reaction afterwards? Yeah, I think we were trying to get underneath Jughead's sort of anxiety and, and apprehension of having this big party thrown. And he sort of has this meltdown because he does have some trauma, like with his family. And we wanted to get underneath underneath that. And so like Roberto helped craft that dialogue and I guess, yeah, I guess it just sort of caught on. It was one of those viral things, but we never intended it to be, I guess, meet this memeable thing. We really wanted it to be more of an emotional moment for him and his girlfriend. Yeah. It was, it was a bit shocking. I would say. I mean, that's something that I think like Riverdale fans look at when people pull the stuff out of context and no shade to the amazing (laughs) no context Riverdale account, which gets it, uh, who we've had on the podcast. But when you see stuff like that, is that frustrating at all? When you see people being like Riverdale's crazy, here's one thing, or do you like it because people are talking about the show? I would say the latter. Um, We're not bothered. I think a lot of the writers on the show actually follow that account. We think it's hilarious. (laughs) Because it's, I don't know, it's bringing, it's bringing a little bit of happiness to someone's life. And um, if they want to make a Twitter account and, and create these funny images, uh, that's, that's totally fine. Um, 
I, I actually actually really like this. I actually really like that account. <laughs> oh, the account's great. Uh, I, I was thinking more about like people who don't watch Riverdale who pull out the scenes are like, what's going on in the show? Right. I feel like that happens at least once a season. Like the Archie sacrifice at the beginning of season six, people are like, what's going oh, on here? Yeah, what's Archie's happening on the show? Home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I could see how that could be taken <laughs> out of context. But um, yeah, Riverdale is just one of those shows where if you're in, you're in. And those who those who actually watch know the show and like have like this encyclopedic knowledge of uh, of the show. And yeah, I, but I can understand how <laughs> it could be a bit confusing um, at times. Another episode that you wrote, you wrote uh, Deuce Titans, uh, which was the episode that canonized Shoni uh, with that incredible scene where Tony oh, rescues man. Cheryl from the Sisters of the Quiet Mercy. Um, this obviously is a very important episode for a lot of people mm-hmm. for different reasons, whether you ship Shoni or you're just into the LGBTQ plus of it all. So what went into the discussions there in terms of canonizing that relationship and also making that episode the one where it was going to happen? I think there was a certain magnetism between Cheryl and, and Tony, like, in season two when we wanted to to bring them together because we knew that they would be good in a relationship together and having it set at the sisters of quiet mercy that that really powerful moment of tony coming in and while they're being almost like brainwashed uh being forced to watch these like re-education films it was just like a really powerful moment for them and yeah it's definitely one of the scenes that sort of stand out from from the episodes that i've been able to write and produce along with Britta Lundin. But yeah, that's a that's a really special episode and one I think is really powerful moment between them. I'll throw out another one to you just on the powerful for shippers thing, but you also did Lynchian, uh, which introduced Carrie the Torch, had the scene with Betty and Archie in the bunker trying to figure out the relationship after they had this kiss during the Hedwig musical. Um, we talked to the music guys a little bit, Letter J. Jackson and Rand Peterson, about how that song ended up in the episode. But again, what was the process there like? deciding this is how Barchi is going to kind of come together, but then at least for the time being break apart. Yeah. I was there um, like when, when we were shooting that, that day and it was again, really powerful moment between uh, Archie and Betty. They had this long history together and Archie's sort of bearing his soul for, for Betty in the, in the bunker. But yeah, in terms of the, the writing the music, um, like I don't have, a whole lot of say in, in the, the lyrics or anything like that. So they come up with all that and and give it to KJ and, and KJ sings it. I really love that scene. You really, you really feel it. Like when you're watching this happen on set, you're like, wow, there's really, this is, this is like really this electric stuff. Real. Uh, what do you think? Uh, what do you think <laughs> it is about the relationships in this show that the fans are just crazy for? Like everyone has their, their ship, they're choosing sides. There's just a constant drive. Just the comments, the responses on your tweet saying you were going to do this interview were like, would you mind asking? Let's talk about some of these relationships. Like there's just a <laughs> hunger for it in this show that I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. So what is it about this show that that drives that? Well, they're such like iconic characters and it's their characters that they know from the comics and they're invested in these characters and they have so many sort of powerful moments in those like first few seasons. Yeah. It's understandable that they're as passionate as they are because they've watched these characters sort of grow up 
on screen and shared these really traumatic moments together and these really beautiful moments together. So, you know, when they split up and break apart, get back together, I can understand why that will cause a lot of emotion. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's something about these teenagers that I think uh, our audience can really relate to and they, yeah, I guess they kind of empathize. It drives, so, it drives I, some people so crazy. I, I mean, I'm not saying me, but I'm saying some, but there are other people. I, I just wanted to follow up. On, a, on an unrelated note, <laughs> let's kick it over to Pete. Uh, I, yeah. I just wanted to, to follow up on that. Like as a writer, like, you're spending time in these people's heads. You're invested maybe more so than a lot of the fans. Like, do you ship certain things or is it hard for you to like, let somebody else have a Archie episode where you're like, Archie wouldn't do that. You out of your mind or like, <laughs> uh, is it easy to keep things at a distance or is it tough? No, I don't think I, I don't, I don't ship couples specifically. I think as a writer, you try to nice. remain as, as objective as possible. And you, you want to tell the story. Like you never want to lock yourself into one specific thing. The show has evolved over six seasons. And I think like as the show evolves, like the relationships are going to evolve as well. So you never want things to, to get stale or like kind of back our characters into a corner. You always want to keep them developing. So yeah, no, not specific. I don't specifically ship any, any couples. I know that'll probably upset some people, but no, it's, <laughs> it's fine. We're all trending in a, a certain direction and that's fine by it's that's fine. That's yeah, fine yeah, by me. Yeah, yeah. Well, that said, I think we could probably talk about some of the couples because like you're saying, things have changed a lot, particularly in season six. And certainly some fans have been upset about that. Some fans have been excited about that. Uh, we talked about Barchi a little bit and how they've, it's not exactly a joke in the fandom, but it's almost like they've come together for an episode and then they break up the next episode and then go away for about a season. But it seems like based on the event, based on where you're going, we're really tackling Barchi in a significant way. Uh, why do you think it's taken so long to finally get there with them? Well, over the time jump, you know, their lives did move in these pretty radically different directions. You know, Archie joined the army, Betty joined the FBI. That was a long time. Seven years is a long time. So it's like one of those things where they just never kind of got the timing right back in high school. But now that they sort of have the opportunity to explore that romance again, that they're going to do it. So they also have like their own relationships, too. So like Archie's with Veronica and... Betty had her thing with Jughead for a while. So I guess these things just take time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And just, uh, again, not plumbing for spoilers, but just because I know fans are nervous, we're not going to get back for the first episode and then Archie's going to have his heart ripped out again, right? Like they're they're actually going to... Emotionally or physically? Can you give me yeah. at least Barchi for two episodes coming back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't, I don't know. I can't really say, I can't really say okay. specifically... That's a good answer. But they, I mean, they are obviously they're together at the beginning yeah. of the season. So um, I can give you, can at least give you that much. That's one episode, man. Yeah, that's one the episode. Beginning we of got one, episode. boys. We got one, baby. All right. Uh, well, let's talk about another one, uh, which has been bubbling in the background for a while, but is new, which is Jabatha. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked to Roberto about how excited he was about that. I interviewed Cole for my day job. He seemed very excited. What has been like? playing with this new relationship between these characters? Um, it's been great. I, I, I really, I really like those two on screen together. I think they have a great chemistry. It's been nice kind of exploring that relationship. It's, and it's nice how much Tabitha will support Jughead and Jughead will support Tabitha. And 
she's been really great to have like on the on the cast and totally cool. It's really interesting to me because we've sort of really only seen that together a ton through the Rivervale event where they are almost murdering each other. Right. <laughs> yeah, everything's um, a little darker in <laughs> Uh, which I love, um, but we've seen this them in such an intensity. It'll be interesting to see them sort of in a little a world where there's not um, a hammer coming at the back of your head. A nice normal world like Riverdale, where yeah. things are always normal all the time. Yeah, exactly, always. <laughs> uh, I was wondering if like the fan base has ever maybe helped you guys out, like pointed something out, been like, oh, yeah, uh, we didn't talk about Betty's cat that she had, and is that cat okay? Like, you know what I mean? Like, has there ever... Pete, you can follow up on that. All Pete actually wants to know is if Toffee is okay. We have not heard about Toffee. Some people are worried, you know. Uh, Toffee's somewhere. Okay. I don't think think TVK has gotten to Toffee yet. Okay, good. Let me throw a theory out that I have. Uh... (laughs) Is Toffee in some sort of cat briefcase? And if you don't know what that is, I talked to Roberto about it, and he agreed it was a good idea. It's a briefcase where the cat is inside it, and the front end has food, and the back end has a litter box. So it's a great traveling case for a cat like Toffee that's sort of on can the go DL. anywhere. Yeah, um, maybe. Yeah, maybe Glenn's carrying maybe. carrying that. Uh, <laughs> See, that's a Glenn move. Yeah, I feel like that's a Glenn move. There you go, yeah, I'm in Glenn's yeah. head. Great. I'm glad we got that out of the way. Uh, just to kind of keep walking through the <laughs> couples, uh, we have also been playing with Veggie. Obviously, we don't know if they're going to go forward, but we had little touches of them in earlier season. Um, again, what's it been like having those character work together, work together, and be together, even though it's been in this uber dark situation of Rivervale. They're a lot of fun together. I mean, their personalities are big. Um, So I can understand why they, they got together. You know, Reggie is always kind of this arrogant kind of loud, loud mouth, the kind of jock. And I think that Veronica might see a lot of the qualities that she saw in Archie in Reggie. I think they're great together. They're, they're a lot of fun to work with too, uh, as well. Camila and Charles are, are really great people. And yeah, they, they've been great. They seem to really be, in, be enjoying each other in the scenes uh, that, that we've seen them. And I love the sort of low-end scammer and a high-end scammer uh, coming together in that couple. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think Hiram would uh, sort of appreciate Reggie as a partner for Veronica? Yeah, sure. I think I think he would because Reggie is like always looking out for her and cares about her. So, yeah, I, I think he would. Oh, it's interesting you went that way. I was thinking, oh, he's kind of a slime ball like Hiram was. You know, he's going to take <laughs> the street smart. Well, I think Yeah, he's street smart like Hiram was. Street so. smart, and like we saw in the mm-hmm. episode. And Because I also think one of the things that bothered Hiram about Archie so much is he, he was un, he was too pure. He was like, he couldn't get him, yeah. uh, you know, at the end mm-hmm. of the day. So he blew him up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> To get back to the couples, another one that's new for this season so far is Tang's, Tony and Fang's. And I think as much as uh, it definitely makes sense from a parental perspective, it's caused a lot of agita on the part of the fads, whether they're shippers of Kang's or Shoney. Um, we know that those things are always going to be part of the fabric some way. But uh, what's it been like playing with that? And were there any concerns taking... Kang's Shoney breaking them up and turning them into Tang's. What were the discussions like there? Yeah, I don't think there were any major, major concerns there because we had established Tony as bisexual early on in the series. I think that, you know, they became closer when they had this parenting process 
And that relationship moved from platonic to, to romantic. I think it actually was kind of a nice sort of development for them. And it just made sense to us. So, um, yeah. And uh, I'd be uh, remiss if I didn't just ask you, Bughead, Varchi, any ones that I'm missing? I'll just throw some out there so that the fans don't get angry at me for not saying the names out loud. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a journalist over here! Yeah. Okay, question mark. The fans want me to say these words. <laughs> I don't know. We got a, we got hit up by a lot of people. I mean, no. certainly, like people are very tied to these ships. I understand you guys are playing with other things, but do you feel like those are always going to be fabric a part of the fabric of the show in some way going forward, or is it more about you're enjoying this moment to play with these new couples and, like you were saying, seeing where that's going? Yeah, I think the the romantic relationships are always going to have a a big place on the show. It's sort of a balance. You know, we want to tell a good story. We also want to take the time to, like, explore different relationships. So we try to make sure that we can do that in every episode. I don't want to put words in in your mouth here, but it seems like what you're saying is that, like, hey, you know, we're going to see what happens, but we'll realize, like, Bughead's important, so we'll like bring things back for a little bit of a reset every once in a while. But I'll also you explore other things. I don't want to put words in your head, but here's an exact script for you to read. Okay, <laughs> please, please say this back to me right now. Yeah, we don't have any. I mean, there are no real end games. Oh. Maybe we had an idea of of who was going to end up with who, like very early on in the series. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that has kind of gone by the wayside a bit now. And so, yeah, we, we just want to make sure that we explore the relationships that are interesting and, and you can actually understand why these people get together. There's no uh, certain characters that were like, they have to be together in the finale. Like we have to make sure it is sort of this process. I feel like somebody should tell Veronica that because she keeps going around shouting Endgame and maybe she could... Cut that out a little bit. Just a suggestion. Yeah, Just a we, yeah we included the, the end game. I think Mary said it early. Uh, she, I think she said that she thinks Archie and Veronica are end game. And, yeah. so, and so once she, like Mary, said end game, like that was also like another thing that kind of went viral. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They were like, why are they using the term end game? And so whenever we use the term end game on the show, it's kind of like a subtle nod to, to that moment <laughs> i can't believe it the avengers even were referencing it it's exactly crazy. yeah those yeah wild their subtitle <laughs> well I, I do think part of the reason to talk about it honestly about the end game thing that makes fans concerned is there has been a lot of talk about the end of the show i'm not asking you like when is the show going to end? Tell me an exact date or anything like that. Because I don't know. It, yeah. yeah. Don't, uh, don't but let it end, do you man. feel like, like there has been talk, uh, Lily Reinhardt got on Instagram and was like, I think we're going to have a seventh season and maybe that'll be it. And Cole has certainly talked about, yeah, I think we have these contracts and everything. So is there any sort of back of mind of, uh, I know you're not solidifying the finale of anything like that, but are you in any way sort of coming up with like a rough off rep for some point far in the future, whether it's season seven or eight or nine or whatever? Not really. Um, once okay. we, I mean, if we know that the show has a certain end point, then we would, we would assess and, and sort of build that out um, to make sure that it aligns with the end of the series, but we don't, we've never had anything like that before. So um, as far as we know, we're just, we're still, 
telling an ongoing story. Um, there's no, at least not that I know of, uh, there's no end date to this thing. That's great news for our podcast also. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess really it's up to Roberto and it's up to the actors, whether they want to come back and, and do the show. I would love to write for, for Riverdale for as long as it's, as it's on the air. I, I love hearing this because I feel like a lot of shows sort of talk the talk about like, you know, we let the characters really drive us. Um, and it's not always true, but it really feels like what you're saying and what the show feels like that you, you guys are a creative engine that just is chasing this story and able to take it into something like Rivervale and heighten out of reality and then confidently come back and like, and now we're going to tell more stories uh, back in this world that touch on those things. It's all in continuity. Like, I feel like it's just such a, a, a creative, a vibrant, creative show. And it's amazing that you guys pull up, pull that off. Thank you. I mean, yeah, we, we want to make it sure that every, every season is interesting. We never want Riverdale to be boring. You know, as the show evolves, like we will, we'll find new themes for the season. Sometimes it's like a crime genre. Like sometimes it'll be a cult <laughs> for like season three. It's, it's always going to be something bold and, and interesting, which I think is why a lot of the, the audience come back and watch every year. Certainly why we come back and watch. Uh, before we let you go, I do want to ask, is there anything just maybe even theme wise, rather than spoiler wise, you could team around, tease about the rest of the season, just because I think there's a lot of questions about we had this event. Like we said, we love the event. People are wondering, okay, you had these six episodes. What, what if anything, is going to come over from those six episodes to the rest of the season? We've heard everything from maybe there's a character coming over to some of the thematic ideas or the emotional ideas will come over. So, again, I know you don't want to get into spoilers and totally reasonable, but mm. what, if anything, can people expect when it does come back starting March 20th? My God. Uh, well, oh man, that smile you got just really just oh, I felt that. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean the, the characters will be dealing with new issues. Uh, I can definitely say we're doing something we've never done before with with the characters wow. and and their stories. Uh, wow. It's exciting. It's really exciting. Well, one thing we do know about that maybe you can talk about a little bit. We know that Jughead is going to be suffering from some hearing loss, which I think goes back to the original or at least one of the versions of the pilot that mm. didn't get used. So what's it been like playing with that? How have you been treating that? Um, it's funny that you mentioned that because I actually, that was the version of the script that I read for the first time where oh, Jughead well. actually was, was deaf. And it's funny because in that script, he's, you know, Jughead doesn't really appear until sort of the final moments of the episode. And it was such a, such an interesting thing that like Roberto like made Jughead a deaf character and for whatever reason, it just, it didn't stick around, but yeah, it's, it's always interesting putting these characters in different situations and seeing how they would adapt to something like hearing loss. Um, it's kind of this devastating thing because so much of Jughead's life is like <laughs> centered around hearing. Like he's like a big movie buff and luckily he can s still write it's interesting putting them in these situations. And this is a very technical question that I wanted to ask, but are you able to say how many episodes are in this season or is it being kept loose because of COVID? Um, it's a full season. It's yeah, it's your 20 typical 22 episode season, but I mean, everything, as far as I know, is still on track. Like production is still on track. So we should be able to, 
to do a full a full order of season. Awesome. Yeah. Exciting to hear. Yeah. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for chatting. The show's we amazing. Thank you so much for all oh. that you do. <laughs> thank you for having me. I'm sorry that I, I couldn't be a little more no, liberal with stop. my... We're here for the conversation. Stop, man. Come on, man. You confirmed that Shoney was endgame. Uh, so that's all. <laughs> that's all I need to know. So thanks. And if you'd like to support our podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about Riverdale. Uh, iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Riverdale Dark on Twitter, at Riverdale After on Instagram, Riverdale After Dark on Facebook, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you after dark. The cat briefcase is coming! And you got me wanting.